Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is World's Greatest Con. I'm Brian Brushwood. Wake up. It's late February in Manhattan, 1983. Today is the day. The day they've dreamed of. 34 degrees. Stretch. Put on your clothes. For Mike, that means a black suit, black tie. The choir boy from Iowa is about to deliver justice to the wicked. For Steve, it's a green shirt with white and orange stripes the forgotten son is going to show what happens to those who underestimate him. Mike and Steve both read the same book about how Yuri Geller took advantage of academia, how Randy fought against it, and in the last four years at the Mac Lab, they've lived it. Risk, skill, trust, friendship, deceit, harm. They've lived all of it. All of it for today. Because today's the day they reveal that not only can parapsychologists be fooled, but they were. They were fooled by Mike and Steve. Journalists are shuffling all around the offices of Discover Magazine. Cameramen wearing cargo shorts are steadying tripods. Magazine writers clad in pantyhose and shoulder pads topped with teased out hair. All of the press has been led to believe that Randy is going to finally admit defeat. He's going to admit that psychics are real. He's going to admit he's found the genuine article. But that's all stage dressing. It's a narrative. Randy walks in, welcomes them, introduces Mike and Steve. They begin to perform. It's just like the racetrack back in Pittsburgh. It's just like Pippin back in Iowa. It is way easier than at the Mac Lab. Here, Mike and Steve control everything. There are no capital S surprises. No, no lying. I wonder how the Mac Lab is going to find out. Who tells who first? Phillips? Schaefer? What's that going to be like? Does their stomach drop? Will they ever forgive us? 
Can't think of that now. Randy's running down the accomplishments. This is it. The big moment. Everything for this right now. The revelation that will help cure the world of its ridiculous social contagion. This fascination for some fantasy answer outside of ourselves. We control our fate. This is the moment. And Randy asks the question. Can you tell us how do you do it? Mike, standing straight, shoulders back, looks over at Steve. Steve, cross-armed and hunched, gestures for Mike to go take the podium. Mike clasps his hand in front of him, leans down with an ever-so-slight tilt, and... Hold on. Be quite honest. We cheat. It's over. No matter how it goes from here, this phase is done. Reporters have questions, flashbulbs pop, and in the first moment of quiet comes a whisper. What needs to happen now to make all of this worth it? Did they do enough to kill funding for parapsychology for good? Now that we're at the end, the reasons the boys started seem so one-dimensional. They're adults now. Adults who have just made very specific reputations for themselves. And reputations spread. The New York Times, the CIA, all of parapsychology, they all find out within hours. But most importantly, the Mac Lab finds out they're the suckers. They're about to realize they got got, and now they have a reputation too, both professionally and personally. What needs to happen now to make all of this worth it? Credit? Randy's talking to reporters and explaining how this was all his idea? That he discovered the Mac Lab? He's the one who organized the press conference, so they can't just jump in and correct him, can they? Would all this have been worth it if Mike and Steve just end up side characters in their own story? What needs to happen now to make all of this worth it? The die is cast. The world reacts, and two men begin their adult lives as heroes to those who don't hate them. The fallout and legacy of Project Alpha, what in my opinion just might be the world's greatest con. This episode of World's Greatest Con brought to you by, actually, let's start here. Audible.com, Amazon.com. This is where great stories live. And among my favorites, the bestseller, The Naturalist by Andrew Maine. Enter the world of Theo Cray, a computational biologist who has a unique gift for finding patterns where others see only chaos. Get this. Mutilated bodies are discovered deep inside the Montana woods. Local police, they find themselves grasping at straws. But Theo uncovers something they missed, something unnatural, and only he can stop it. With time running out, Theo must stay one step ahead of the authorities while using his scientific prowess 
to unmask the true killer. The question remains, can he become as cunning as the predator he's hunting, or will he ultimately become the prey? Don't miss The Naturalist. It's the thrilling introduction to the Theo Craze series, one of my favorite books, and it's by Wall Street Journal bestseller Andrew Main. Read it now at Amazon.com and get the audiobook at Audible.com. In the press conference where I said, you know, what's the one of the scariest parts of this whole thing is these people are teaching your children. The next few days, I, of course, during this time now, the Mac lab is getting bombarded with phone calls, but they won't answer their phone until they hear from Mike and I. The bomb has dropped. Depending on where you are in the blast radius, you might not have even seen it detonate, but soon everyone is going to feel it. The press conference is being recorded for a primetime NBC special called Magic or Miracle. This is where the entire plan will be laid bare. The producers of that show begin to fan out and interview any researcher that Mike or Steve has interacted with. So not only will the Mac Lab soon know that Mike and Steve are frauds, but they're going to be under the gun to answer on camera how it felt. We'll get to the Mac Lab in a minute. But there's someone else interviewed during the special. Berthel Schwartz, a parapsychology researcher who took a specific interest in Steve during the waning days of the Mac Lab. I heard the news myself this morning. I was shocked, to put it mildly. Schwartz's work made the Mac Lab protocols look stringent. Schwartz is a believer's believer, and Steve just kept confounding him with simple but devious methods. For example, Schwartz wanted to see if Steve could affect film in a camera. And indeed, Steve did it. When Schwartz saw the developed photos, he saw fantastical visions, religious in nature, but supernaturally created. In reality, Steve spat on the lens. Mike had his own researcher take an interest in him, Walter Uphoff. Uphoff is an economics professor who, in his retirement, focused entirely on parapsychology. He founded the New Frontiers Foundation, and he ran the very convention in Madison, Wisconsin, where Mike and Steve realized this charade had to end. That's the one where the BBC producer broke with reality. Schwartz and Uphoff are two more people involved in this crusade to tear down unquestioned parapsychology research, but also two more people hurt in the process. At the outer edges of the blast, none other than the Central Intelligence Agency. That little press conference in New York City sets off alarm bells in Virginia. In a now declassified communication, Dr. Jack Verona wrote, everybody should know that the Mac Lab thing had nothing to do with the CIA psychic research. The CIA research, you know, the ones at Stanford Research Institute where Geller was tested, totally different. Back then, the CIA investigation was codenamed Grill Flame. It would eventually be consolidated under the codename Stargate, and it's those very experiments that go on to be the basis of the book and the movie, The Men Who Stare at Goats. By the way, the book is great. It takes place 
after this special is released. And once you know that on national TV, this debunking happened, it colors the entire book. The CIA memo is specifically there to give talking points to any agent talking to anybody in Congress that gets wind of this fiasco. Because Congress is a fickle bunch. They don't like to be embarrassed. And the CIA needs to keep their funding. All around the world, millions of people believe in psychic power and the supernatural. Tonight, we explore the edge of the unknown. Vengeful ghosts haunt castles in Scotland. In Singapore, people pierce their flesh with spikes, yet feel no pain. Others become possessed by animal spirits. And in America, some people seem to dissolve metal with only a touch. Many believe we are being observed by UFOs as we explore the strange and mysterious. Are these bizarre manifestations magic tricks or miracles? Now, the psychic fight of the century. Magic or Miracle airs February 8th, 1983 on NBC. Barely two weeks after the press conference. I don't know if there's any legal way to see it, but it's a very schizophrenic tour of 1980s TV. Part travelogue, part expose of parapsychology, and part back and forth between James Randi and Yuri Geller. The special begins and ends with Randi and Geller going back and forth in separate interviews. Geller says he's the genuine article. Randy says he's a fraud. Geller moves a compass with his mind. Randy does the same thing with a freaking magnet. Yep, we are back where we started. And then bafflingly, we're off with Randy on this round-the-world journey. He's in a village where they walk over hot coals. Another one where a guy is possessed by a monkey god. By far the most depressing is a stop in the Philippines where patients with terminal diagnoses fly in from around the world to have psychic surgery performed on them. If you ever see it, what your eyes tell you is that the psychic surgeon is shoving their hands right into the stomach of a patient without any kind of scalpel. Blood begins to pour out, and the surgeon pulls out what looks like a tumor from the patient. Think Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. If the trick sounds familiar, might be because Penn and Teller performed it live on TV in the 90s. Oh, and as a matter of fact, I performed it on TV for Penn and Teller. As a magic trick, it's a great routine, shocking visuals, lots of room for gags and fun. But that's all it is, a magic trick. In Magic or Miracle, the special shows how truly desperate these dying people are, flying halfway around the world to spend thousands of dollars in the hopes of what could be a real cure. It's a jarring reminder of why Mike and Steve did what they did. These ideas, if you don't show them to be faulty, can have real harm. Hell, if any of these people went to the Philippines for that procedure instead of real therapy, it could be deadly. Finally, we hit the 40-minute mark. Boom. There's Mike and Steve. 22-year-old Steve Shaw is a hospital attendant at Washington Hospital in Washington, Pennsylvania. 21-year-old Mike Edwards is a pre-law student at the University of Iowa in Iowa City. They have both been acclaimed as genuine psychics. 
Their adventure began in 1979 in St. Louis at the McDonnell Laboratory for Psychic Research, where for three years, numerous experiments were conducted in an attempt to validate their psychic powers. The research indicated that both Shaw and Edwards were able, through psychic powers, to bend spoons, forks, keys, even metal rods encased in plastic. I know this is audio only, but I sincerely hope you can hear the wispy mustaches on these boys. They're truly legendary. The segment runs down their time at MacLab, the rules they abided by, why they did what they did. And then he appears. His first public comment on Project Alpha, straight from the mouth of the mark, Peter Phillips. We were told that there was a real possibility that these were two conjurers who had been sent to us with the intent to deceive us. We confronted them with what we had heard. They made no response, either yes or no. Remember, that press conference happened two weeks ago. Two weeks to process the betrayal, the lies, the fact that you were the sucker left holding the bag, and suddenly you're in front of cameras. That clip from Phillips is fresh. Had to be only days from when he found out. We don't know exactly how that part happened. But we do know the first time Steve got in touch with Mark Schaefer, the man Phillips turned to after he felt he was getting in the way of the results. So Schaefer calls me from the Mac Lab. And he tells me what he's heard, you know, that we're working with Randy. He says, is it true? What you're about to hear is not a recreation of any kind. This is the actual phone call from Banachek to the Mac Lab. Now, this admission, had it happened one week earlier, it would have been profound. But now the press conference has happened. And calling up somebody after the press conference just to confirm that you definitely did the press conference, it's like opening up a barn, letting out all the horses, watching all the ranchers freak out, run around crazy, running up to a rancher, stopping him, saying, hey, 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 I know you're chasing down a horse. I just want to tell you, I just let all of your horses out of the barn. Everything is different now. And next thing you know, he's like, well, how did you do this? How did you do this? He's asking all these things, just looking for one thing he can hold on to, right? Berthold Schwartz is getting phone calls as well. And he says, how do we know that Randy didn't pay them off to lie? Spoke to both young fellows at length. And all it did raise in my mind were more and more and more questions. If I was there at the Mac Lab, I know I'd first feel stunned, shocked. And then I'd feel defensive. And over time, that defensiveness would transform into anger. If Randy gets your goat in the world of parapsychology, you only have yourself to blame. But Mike? Steve? From their perspective, how could you describe them as anything other than malicious liars? People who you let into your house, into your home, into your hearts, and betrayed your trust. I got got letters uh, from Peter Phillips at the Mac Lab. 
I got a scathing uh, letter sent to my parents from Walter Uphoff's wife about what a rotten son I was and deceptive, and she hoped that they weren't aware of what I had done and how I, you know, because she can't believe that, that they would raise a kid like me. Walter Uphoff's attorney sent me a personal note saying, I hear you plan to go on to law school, and I wouldn't want anybody like you uh, in the legal profession. And I thought, everybody like me is in the legal profession. <laughs> and she was writing a letter to uh, the University of Iowa Law School protesting that I not be accepted. In a letter dated February 1983 from Peter Phillips to Randy, so far, I have not heard anything from either of the two young men. Since they're both mature individuals, able to tell right from wrong, they should not expect you to speak for them. Nor should they expect that friendships can survive violations of trust and hospitality without some effort on their part to make amends. Peter did say, if you're thinking about being in the St. Louis area at any time, Please don't just show up at the Mac Lab. There's a lot of really hurt feelings. Mike tries to call the current lead researcher, but he only gets a letter back. You know, we were in every media outlet. We were in every newspaper. We were in every magazine, Discover Magazine, Psychology Today. You know, we were in the New York Times. And, and so it was like, okay, this was important enough to make it in every one of these media outlets out there. The Mac Lab are the marks, and they just realized... They got shortchanged. And the smiling faces who orchestrated everything weren't new friends. They were predators who took advantage of them and took what they wanted. Even as, during the special, the boys profess to feeling bad for them. The more I've gotten to know these people, the more I've gotten to realize that so-and-so is not just a parapsychologist. They're also a human being. Uh, the way that people have opened up their they're not only their labs... And themselves, but their homes to me. Um, it really makes me a little sad. I feel bad for him, the parapsychologist, because they're very nice people. They're fantastic people. I feel like I'm taking something away from them and belief. Predators smiling at them on television in prime time. Mike, wearing a cable knit sweater, ends his segment with a religious conviction. We need to take the precautions. We need to prevent against the cheating because when the dust clears and all the fake psychics and fake prophets have fallen, the ones standing will be the ones that are the genuine thing. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Watching this... One thing that stands out is how little the Project Alpha segment mentions Randy. Especially since every other segment is almost totally dedicated to either him or Geller. And that matters too, because in almost every other telling of Project Alpha, Randy is always at the center of it. The, the truth was that magic or miracle did horribly, horribly uh, that night that it premiered. And the ratings were bad. It was 58 out of like 80 shows that week or something. But that's okay, right? I mean, they didn't do this to make a television special. They did it to change the world. And change the world, they absolutely did. That press conference, the one where they reveal themselves as magicians and not psychics, is organized by Discover Magazine. In their article about Project Alpha, Mike and Steve aren't mentioned until the fifth paragraph. And when they are, it's only so we could give names to the henchmen of the real mastermind of Project Alpha, James Randi. Huh. And this isn't an isolated incident. It's the rule. Article after article, interview after interview. The narrative is set. James Randi discovered the Mac Lab. James Randi cast two young magicians as phony psychics. James Randi charged them to take on the Mac Lab with expert skill and impeccable morals. James Randi pushed the Mac Lab to bust him by telling them that they were being fooled and even spread rumors that he was working with them. This is a James Randi story. Just ask James Randi. Here is Randy's official timeline of the events of Project Alpha. March 1st, 1976, Randy contacts Steve. July 5th, 1978, Mike written up in local newspaper for straitjacket escape. March 2nd, 1979, New York Times announces 500,000 McDonald grant to Peter Phillips and his search for psychic kids. Randy contacts Steve and Mike, proposes they infiltrate the lab. November 1st, 1979, Mike performs at the University of Northern Iowa, and his performance is declared genuine. If any of you have heard of Project Alpha before hearing this program, that's almost certainly how you know it. And now you've heard the story from the mouths of the men who used to be those boys. A lot of people think that Randy masterminded Project Alpha, and that is not the case. We all played an important part in this. We exposed Project Alpha in 83, and I want to say it was 86 
that Randy won the MacArthur Award. And a lot of that had to do with not only his work earlier with Geller, but the release of Project Alpha. But the story isn't always told 100% correct, you know? And we've given Randy poetic license at times on some of these things. Um, but I think it's time now for, you know, the actual full facts to be out there that Randy didn't introduce us to the laboratory. You know, I was already going to do it no matter what. According to Mike, Randy found out about the Mac Lab from him. According to Steve, he'd already applied and been accepted to it by the time Randy called him about it. And it's Mike and Steve who have to invent magic tricks on the fly under supervised conditions. Mike and Steve who have to make friends and lie to them. What needs to happen now to make all of this worth it? This is the narrative of one of the biggest moments of their entire lives. Their coming of age story. And yet, they're side characters. Randy, and I have to be careful here because I don't want to besmirch him because um, he isn't here to defend himself and I love the guy to death. But Randy was, Randy was like a lot of showmen. And that is, it's got to be about me. And when we did the press conference, uh, and we were back in, uh, I want to say it was uh, Leon Jeroff's office, and people were talking to us and um, wanted to know more about Project Alpha and whatnot. Randy was trying to perform. Randy was trying to show a card trick or he's trying to show how I can predict uh, a word or know what word you're picking out of a book or all this. And he was actually getting pouty. Fine, I guess nobody wants to watch that, you know. But, you know, he didn't. Whereas a mentor, I would have expected him to say, to sit back and let the boys talk about this. No, he really wanted that conversation to be all about Randy. How do you wrestle with that? If you're Mike or Steve, I mean, this is your reputation for better or for worse. Shouldn't you at least get to own it? Here's how I see it. Randy is a force of nature, an amazing publicity machine. No, no, no. Let me say that clearer. James the Amazing Randy is one of the greatest publicity engines of all time. James Randy became famous once as a magician and then famous again for his crusade against the paranormal. And he did it with a very simple offer. $10,000. Literally, I'll give you $10,000 if anyone under scientific conditions could prove to me you're psychic. Eventually, that number balloons to a million dollars. It's a dead simple premise that could always be pulled out in any bar argument. Oh, you think he's real? Should win a million dollars then. Oh, they haven't? Well, they must be either fake or stupid. This simple challenge creates so much momentum, he creates the James Randi Educational Foundation. And then he starts the amazing meeting, an annual gathering of skeptics from around the world, attracting big names like Matt Stone and Trey Parker of South Park, the Mythbusters Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman, Christopher Hitchens, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Richard Dawkins, Penn and Teller, and so many more. A lot of those names were part of a nonfiction literary boom, exploring skepticism and atheism. Combine that with the YouTube boom of the 2010s, and you have a groundswell of fresh, young voices feeding skeptic content to anyone who wants to hear it. And as Randy got older, he got less and less hands-on with the JREF. 
less hands-on with the conference. The last amazing meeting was held eight years ago. Is it a coincidence that books about skepticism aren't selling like they used to? Or that the YouTube community has splintered into a thousand pieces? Maybe. But for my money, there's no denying that Randy was the beating heart of skepticism. And yes, he made sure of that because he crafted very simple narratives and put himself at the center of them. And maybe he did it because he was selfish. But there's no denying that narratives matter and simple narratives are the ones that survive the longest. That's the thing, right? Simple narratives have to be simple. Two boys contact the famous skeptic James Randi about a parapsychology research lab to get his advice on how to fool them. And he helps them with their plan. Too complicated. Too many sentences. Too many characters. Let's simplify. Famous skeptic James Randi contacts two boys to fool a parapsychology lab. No. Simpler. James Randi did it again. The famous skeptic fooled the Mac lab. Now we're talking. That's something everybody can remember. But I think it is because Randy is such a fascinating figure within the skeptical community. I think people often attribute these things all to Randy because he's the one who puts the story out there, right? He tells the narrative. He makes it interesting. He's able to capture the, the society's you know, imagination with these things. Sometimes he embellishes a little bit on things to make the story interesting. He has done that a few times in the past, yeah. And it truly sucks that Mike and Steve get pushed to the margins. But hot damn, that's one simple narrative. In 1985, the Mac Lab closes after James S. McDonald's grant money runs out, and they're told no more is coming. An article in the New York Times credits Project Alpha for the closing. Peter Phillips responds to a St. Louis Post-Dispatch report on it with a letter to the editor. Phillips says that Project Alpha had been discovered to be a fraud by the staff two years before the press conference. He says they even drafted a press release calling it all off, but they never released it. And yet, even in this letter to the editor long after the battle had been lost, Phillips is still a believer. Quote, We realized we could not prove that they were genuine psychics, but neither could we prove them fraudulent. The case remained undecided. He continues, I thought they probably had genuine psychic ability because I found it hard to believe in an extensive conspiracy involving reporters, television producers, editors, science writers, and academics like ourselves. And through it all, Mike and Steve feel regret. I fear that he believes we ruined part of his life. Because Keep in mind, I mean, my God, right? You, you, you've, you've been going for years, 108 hours. You, you're responsible for half a million dollars, and it comes out that you've been conned. Um, to this day, I have had, the only contact I have had has been with uh, Peter Phillips, as a uh, as a book I'm thinking about writing, and I reached out to him to see if I could talk to him. And he actually said, when you write it, 
Let me read it first, and then we'll decide. Could never get a hold of Phillips. He had an answer machine, his tenure at Washington University. I tried to get a hold of him many, many times. I left many messages on that answer machine. So I haven't, I haven't been able to, to bury that one yet. Uh, Peter's getting on in age, aren't we all? Um, and I really, and Steve and I have talked about this, we would really like to, to close that chapter and kind of get some some final thoughts. I had an experience with Phillips probably about uh, six, seven years ago, I think it was. So I belonged to, or I belonged to a group called the Psychic Entertainers Association. They reached out to Peter Phillips when they thought that I couldn't make one of the Psychic Entertainers Association's conventions. And they said, he won't be there. But we'd love to come because a lot of believers are there and we'd love you to tell your side of the story. I've always wanted Phillips to tell his side of the story, right? I've always wanted him to. I don't hold any grudges against him and I would hope that he wouldn't against me, but I understand why he would hold him against me. I get it, I get it. I ruined his life, right? You know. So I sit there and I'm so happy that Peter Phillips is there. Like, I'm, I, This is what I wanted to do is to meet him again, give him a hug and say, hey, I'm sorry that things went, you know, the way they, they went down, you know, and just, just talk, like just talk, right? And so Banachek changes his schedule last minute and is there live to watch Phillips. This is audio from that night in a talk titled A Mark's Eye View of Project Alpha. We told the truth as we saw it. We made mistakes, to be sure, but we corrected them. And our final results were free of fraud. Now, Randy's hopes, of course, it seems that it was basically a political uh, affair, a publicity stunt. His idea was to draw us into error uh, and to use the uh, publicity surrounding that to further his own career. But I couldn't see at the time what these two young men had to gain from it. What was in it for them? if they had been playing tricks, it didn't seem to be very important, you know, and yet here they were coming back time and again. And none of us suspected that they were actually in league with Randy and stood to gain in their own careers afterwards from the publicity that this would, would generate. There's even this extraordinary moment in which Phillips says the following to Banachek. Two other actors in Project Alpha were two men who at the time were really quite young, Mike Edwards and Steve Shaw. Steve now goes by the name of Steve Banachek. He's uh, known to many of you. He's a well-known mentalist, and he's here with us today. So if you could stand, Hi. Steve, where are you? Yeah, Hi. Steve. Steve did a very good job in Parasycle, in uh, Project Alpha. And uh, I want to acknowledge that. And the whole thing's over. It's nice. We get a hug. We get a picture together. And it was, it was really, really nice. I haven't talked to Peter Phillips since then. I'd like to explain why we did it, um, the rationale behind it. I would, I would like to find out what the fallout was on that because I don't know any of that. <clears throat> I can't. I can't apologize for any of that if I don't know. Knowing what I know now, I think the reveal would have been done differently. 
In the days after the special, Mike and Steve go their separate ways. Mike heads out to Los Angeles. This has to be the moment to take advantage of that momentum, right? I was feeling good. I was getting excited. And we had talked about, uh, they were thinking that there was going to be a great reaction to the Magical Miracle show. We started talking about potentially some, almost like a weekly series. There's a postcard in the mail. It's from Randy to Mike. Hi, I now have three offers regarding film rights to the Alpha Project. One for a movie, one for a TV movie, and the other for a PBS kids special. You may get to be an actor yet. Lots of interest from all directions. Just sit tight and wait. Went, uh, went out to California for about three months, and I realized that because the show didn't do well and there wasn't, a, you know, a, a, a agents knocking on my door, great. You know, if I want to be another struggling actor that's waiting tables, shit, I can do that in my hometown where everybody knows me and I'm a bigger deal. Steve continues to work with Randy, continuing to bust frauds. Their most notable collaboration after Project Alpha is when they took down televangelist Peter Popoff. He claims he's hearing the voice of God. Steve figured out that God was apparently Popoff's wife using an FM transmitter and a receiver inside Popoff's ear. Mike Edwards is now a successful entrepreneur in Phoenix, Arizona. Steve Shaw changed his name to Banachek and became one of the most respected minds in magic. He's the current headliner at the Strat Resort and Casino on the Las Vegas Strip. The two don't see each other much. I mean, they live in different cities after all. Jobs, families, obligations. But whenever they do see each other, they're not just long lost friends. The moment they enter the room, it's like you're seeing them back at the Mac lab. When so, we were in Project Alpha, we were a team. There was a little bit of jealousy on my part, especially around things that you got invited to from Randy. Is it ethical for scientists to take money in the name of science and not conduct proper science? And he said, if anybody could come up with a new power for me, it would be you. We have to create a holy shit moment for people to, to let it sink in. It's, it's the con. In theory, we could wrap everything up right now. But I don't know about you, I still have questions that I want answers to. So if I sound weird, it's because I'm not in the studio in Austin, Texas. I'm halfway to Las Vegas, Nevada, and we're going to sit down for a very rare conversation with me, Mike Edwards, and Banachek. An epilogue to Project Alpha, what I consider to be the world's greatest con. This episode of World's Greatest Con is written by Justin Robert Young and me, Brian Brushwood, your humble host. Production and research by Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas, with additional production by Will Saddleberg. 
Original music by Carson Pace. Support us directly and keep the world's greatest cons coming by heading on over to patreon.com slash greatest con. Get an ad-free feed, early access to information, and behind-the-scenes extras. Very special thanks go to Banachek and Mike Edwards for allowing us to tell their story. We greatly encourage you to see Banachek's new show, Mind Games, at the Strat Hotel and Casino on the Las Vegas Strip. Additional thanks go to George Slatter Productions, which, along with contemporary news articles, retrospectives, and archive videos, made for the bulk of our research. Of course, you have questions, and we want to answer as many as we can, so hit us up and we'll respond at the end of the season. Write us to worldsgreatestcon at gmail.com. On the next episode, a rare conversation with Mike Edwards, Banachek, and yours truly, covering everything we couldn't quite get into the series. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.